Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. I love engaging with the Word of God in a way where you've got to allow it to read you as much as you read it. Allow it to get into your heart because it's the Word of God that can spark change. And when you unite that with a life that's surrendered to the Spirit of God, that can start to spring up things that you couldn't even imagine. And over the last few weeks, as we've been talking about what it means to make room for the Spirit of God to work in our life, there's, there's been this constant thought that's been coming up in my heart of what it means to live a life poured out. And I want to submit to you the importance of living a life poured out. Let me start with the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. These words are written by the Apostle Paul. He says this, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labour for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. The Apostle Paul here is the key pioneer of the early church. He started churches left, right and centre in places where people had never experienced God before nor heard about Jesus. He lived life as a trailblazer out there on the front lines in an environment that was very hostile. And at the portion of this book, this book called Philippians, and it's called Philippians because it's written to a, a church in a city, a city called Philippi. And, and each of these books in the Bible often have main themes that work through. And this book, the book of Philippians, is known as the book of joy, which is ironic because Paul is writing those words while he's in jail. He's imprisoned, not because he stole anything, not because he king hit somebody as he's walking through the street, not because he threatened anybody's life. He is in jail because he has been telling people about Jesus and the reality of God. Could you imagine that, being in an environment where it is illegal to talk about Jesus? Do you know that that is happening even today throughout different parts of the world? Where we would not, if we were in certain parts of the world, be unable to meet in a meeting like this. It would have to be underground in the sense of quiet, hushed, secret, at risk of our own lives. And Paul is in a situation where the law is caught up with him and he is awaiting what's to come next. And he's in a place where he's not sure. He, he, he's not sure. He's, he's not sure if he's going to be let out. He's not sure if he's going to be executed at this point in time. And could you imagine sitting there, locked up, left to your own devices, the games that your mind would be playing on you? 
What's going to happen to me next? What, what, what is, what, what, I've done everything. Look at everything I've done. To, that is not Paul's attitude. His attitude is, I've lived my life well because I've lived my life poured out for the one who was worth it all. That's why this book, the book of the prison, the book of being constrained, the book of being locked away, breaks free of all those constraints because Paul taps into a bigger picture life, the book of joy. See, I think that the most powerful life that any one of us can live is a life poured out. A life where we're not in it just simply to get, and I know many of us aren't, but this idea that we live our life through the success of giving of ourselves. Whereas we choose to pour our lives, come on, mums and dads, into our children so that they would raise up and do things that we could never dream of, that that is success. That as we take on people around us to encourage them and build them up and see them do things we could only dream of, that is success. And Paul at the end point of his life or what he imagined was the end of his life is taking stock by accepting the reality that he lived his life well because he was willing to pour it out. This theme comes all the way through Scripture. It's, it's not just a one-off. It's not just Paul. It's, and in fact, if you look into anybody great in the Bible, you'll find that they lived their life poured out. That the common denominator is not just that they loved God, but they loved the people that God had called them to lead and minister to as well. That they received from God so that they could give out. And, and that is the key to greatness. I think the greatest people that we can ever come across grab hold of that idea, a sacrificial life that I'm willing to pour out and give. It's interesting that in this portion of Scripture, Paul highlights the fact that we are called to work out our own salvation. We allow God to work in us because change is assumed. And he says, we fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Because this is the most important thing that could be done in any of us. Do everything. In verse 14, without grumbling and arguing, so you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Do everything differently. See, our way of responding should be less informed by home and away and reality programs and should be informed by the Kingdom of God. I don't know if, I remember watching Home and Away growing up. I, I'm ashamed to say it was on every night at home. 7pm, Channel 7. And it's almost as you've watched that play out. I don't know if you've ever watched Home and Away. It's about this, this cast of characters in a fictional part of the world called Summer Bay. See, I remember, I, I haven't seen it in like 30 years. And you watch these kids at high school and you watch how they act and then you go to high school and you start acting the same way because you're, you're drawing reality from something that's fake. Yeah. So we're called to be different, different to the world around us, not drawing from the world for our strength and our energy and our life. We're called to live drawing from the Kingdom of God. And as we take hold of the Word of life, we actually live different in the world around us. Live a life poured out. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, there's a portion of Scripture that I, I, I can't get away from, that I come back to. It's, it's hilarious. I have the honour of helping Beth Druscott, who is our leader, our, our, our junior youth pastor, who looks after our junior youth on a Friday evening. And I'm her helper. 
And I, I, I was sharing a Bible verse and one of our young guys there, Isaac, I, I, I used this terminology. I was about to share this Bible verse and I said, one of my favourite portions of Scripture. And Isaac paused the meeting and says, you say that about every Scripture you talk about. <laughs> it's true. I love it all. <laughs> I love it all because it challenges. And one of my favourite portions of Scripture comes out of 2 Samuel 23, where it's recapping the end of the life of a man called David. David had lived 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And in many ways, David was the precursor of what Jesus was preparing to come to do to be the King of all people. See, David was this man who had grown up as a rejected child, somehow left and ostracised to the fields while his brothers were allowed to live and, and have their been in the family home. And David was the man that God chose to be the second king of Israel. And the reason was he was a man after God's own heart. Even as a youth, he lived his life in worship and, and surrender and was willing to honour his father. And he ended up getting anointed as king even before his time. It's one of those things where it was done already, but not yet. He was made king, but then had to live his life awaiting that promise to be fulfilled. And as this man, David, lives his life at his absolute best, he embodied what it meant to be a king because he was willing to do whatever it took to protect his people. And in the seasons of life where he was king already, but not yet, he gathered to himself what the Bible calls mighty ones. People who had been rejected, stuck in debt, who had lost their way, who had been ostracised, who were broken down by the world around them. And it seemed like David became a magnet for those sorts of people. But it wasn't a pity party. It wasn't an opportunity for David to be the camp counsellor. What he was, was their king. And it seems that whoever gathered around David was changed. And they became what the Bible called the mighty ones. Mighty ones who would do astronomical and very strange things. There was a mighty one who says, fought an army so firmly by himself that his sword froze to his hand. That there was another mighty one who stood on a lentil field, a lentil field, and was so outrageous in his defence to not allow the enemy to take that ground, that even as his brothers fled and retreated, he stood there on the field by himself to drive them back and was able to do so. That there's others that were able to do things that are unexplainable simply because they came around this king David. And as David did amazing things, they did amazing things because they were willing to follow their king. And 2 Samuel 23, as it's giving a bit of a recap of David's life and the things that he did that were amazing, it talks about three of these mighty ones. And it says this in 2 Samuel 23, verse 13. Three of the 30 leading warriors went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, while a company of Philistines, the enemy, was camping in Rephaim Valley. At that time, David was in the stronghold and a Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. That's important. Bethlehem was David's hometown. Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread, 
was the place of provision and David could not go home. Here he was, a king without his home. He was in a garrison and they were attempting to get back his home. Verse 15, David was extremely thirsty. See, he was extremely thirsty because this was the dry season. This was the harvest. So sometimes what we feel is a result of the season that we're in. And he was in the season of the dry and the hot. And he's there looking over his home and he, he can't go there. Could you, could you imagine what that would feel like? To have grown up somewhere, to, to love it dearly. The house of bread, Bethlehem, the place of provision and you cannot go in. The enemy is camping out. You cannot go in. The best you can do is look from a distance. And it's hot. David was extremely thirsty and said, if only someone would bring me water to drink from the well at the city gate of Bethlehem. He's just standing there looking. I'm not sure he's standing up in front of his army and announcing this. I think he's honestly just standing there missing what he doesn't have. And he happens to mention, gosh, man, that well at Bethlehem, that stuff, I wish I had that stuff on tap. That stuff, that is, that is chilled, that is delicious, that is full of minerals, that is so much better than this junk that we're carrying around with us. I wish that I could draw from the well of my youth, from my home. It says in verse 16, So three of the warriors, three of the mighty ones, just jumps into it. So three of the warriors broke through the Philistine camp and drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. They brought it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord. Verse 17, David said, Lord, I would never do such a thing. It is not, is this not the blood of men who risk their lives? So he refused to drink it. Such were the exploits of the three warriors. I love how matter of fact this story is. David's there looking out over his home and longs for that water. And three mighty ones overhear him saying, if only I could have a cup from that well. And as matter of fact, it just moves on. It says that they then stormed the gates, they broke through. Could you, could you just imagine this for a moment? Could you imagine this was a Netflix action movie right now? Then the movie starts with David, thirsty as, dream, looking out, man, if only, if only, if only. And these three warriors who happen to be walking past, who happen to connect with the heart of their king, tune into his heart, and that inspires them to do something ridiculous. They leave the army that they're serving behind and three, just three, one, two, three, run headlong into the exposed field. I just imagine them dodging arrows. I imagine, come on, Iron Man, who needs Iron Man? I imagine them just flipping around and they bust through the enemy's lines. They, they'd hit that. Could you imagine them hitting that head on? Could you imagine what fear that would inspire in the enemy? That these three are running out doing ridiculous things, unexplainable things. They're almost superheroes in flesh. Could you imagine how shaken the enemy would be? They break through the line and the enemy's like, we can't stop them. They've got Bethlehem. They don't want Bethlehem, they want the water. 
They grabbed the water and they walked back. <laughs> Can you imagine how demoralised the enemy would have been? They didn't even come to beat us. They came because of the heart of their king. So here's a thought. What made them great was that they were willing to connect with the heart of their king. In the midst of all of it, the army, could you imagine all the conversations going? Could you imagine certain soldiers just looking out? Yep, nah, got no chance. Nah, they're too big. They're too strong. They're too powerful. They're too this, they're too that. Could you imagine all the chatter through the camp? This is too hard. This is too hard. This is too hard. Yet three of the mighty ones, what made them mighty? They locked in, tuned in and connected with the heart of their king. What you connect with matters. What you connect with is what you draw upon. Yesterday was hilarious. Saturdays are family days. And some family days are days to go out and about. Others are just recovery days, if I'm honest. Yesterday was a recovery day. And we've got these young children. We've got Zoe, who's seven, Flynn, who's five, who constantly come to Rian and I every half an hour. What are we doing today? What are we doing today? What are we doing today? Go and jump on the jumping castle. No, it's boring. It doesn't bounce that high anymore. Go and explore in the garage, but there's spiders. Yeah, crush them if you see them. <laughs> We're having a recovery day. We're resting. We're staying home. We're not doing anything. And finally, Zoe comes to Rhiannon and says, well, can I give my best friend a call? And so she wanted to call her best friend Maeve, who she hadn't seen for a while. Maeve had been sick. And so Rhiannon dialed the number of Maeve's dad and Zoe jumps on the phone. And I tell you what, I saw my future flash before my eyes. <laughs> Here is this seven-year-old, blonde-haired little girl walking around the house, talking to her best friend non-stop for an hour and a half. <laughs> I kid you not. I have no idea what they talked about for an hour and a half, but there was something going on for an hour and a half. There was no silent moment. <laughs> and it's amazing. It was as if they were in the same room. They connected. But I've got to say, I came across something during the week that was surprising about phones and about how it all started. According to the Oxford Dictionary, and at a point that goes back to 1827, that there were two main telephone companies at war with each other in America at that time in 1827, where people had just moved from doing those telegram things where they're doing Morse code and all of a sudden there's two companies that are now literally at war with each other, trying to capture the market for telephones for the first time ever. We're talking about those phones that were just stuck on the wall, the black ones where you, you had the earpiece here and you spoke up to the wall like that. Could, they, they were trying to take over the world with modern technology. And it was disruptive because people didn't know what to do with it. See, they were used to writing a letter that took six months to get to somebody. They were used to jumping in a horse and cart and going five days to visit their best friend. This idea of instantaneous conversation was foreign. And these two companies were at war with each other. Imagine this, imagine Telstra and Optus at war with each other, but they employ hoodlums to start taking out each other's equipment. They were literally at war. And they were at war about everything. They were at war about the types of phones people use. They were at war about the, the, the charges that they posted. But the biggest thing that they drew the war line at was what do you say when you pick up the phone? See, when Zoe dialed her friend, Maeve, yesterday, Maeve said, hello. 
But that wasn't the original greeting. See, when those two companies were at war with each other, one company, the company that ended up winning the war, was the one that proposed the idea of saying, hello, when you answer the phone. And the truth is, according to the Oxford Dictionary, from an account that goes back to 1827, hello wasn't something that people said to greet each other in the 1830s. See, hello was used to attract attention. Hello, what do you think you're doing? Or to express surprise. Hello, what have we here? Hello there. (coughs) Hello didn't become hi until the telephone was invented. Can you imagine how strange that is? That you've got a telephone at home and it rings and you do not know what to say. Um, Hello? See, that was one company. The other company, I wish this one won. It didn't win, Des, but I wish it won. Here's what they taught people to say. Say ahoy. I'm not joking, I'm telling the truth. It was ahoy. Not ahoy me matey. Although you could have thrown that in if you were fridge. No, ahoy. So the phone would ring. Could you imagine this? It's ringing at home. You're running to the phone. There's, there's no voice message. There's nothing. Quick, I gotta get it. I get it off the phone and the, ahoy. <laughs> and why did they say ahoy? Well, it's because ahoy was a common greeting that ships and boats would say as they crossed each other in the ocean. And this particular company had the idea of phones are just a way to cross paths with each other. The other company had the idea phones are a way to connect with each other and get each other's attention. Big difference. Big difference. One, the purpose is to connect. Hello means to get your attention. The other, ahoy, means we just happen to be crossing paths and magically we're here. And they didn't last. When those three soldiers, warriors, are walking past David, they tune in with what he said. They could have just passed on. They could have been ships in the night. They could have passed on and said to themselves, gosh, our king, man, it sucks. Yep, can't go home. They could have just crossed paths and left it at that. But here's what made them great. They were willing to connect with the heart of their king and tune in and allow that to disrupt their day to the point where they went ahead and did something amazing. And the thoughts that I think about is how do we tune in? Just to throw at this quickly, priority and proximity I think matters. Jesus often said in the Scriptures, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. He would say that often. If you read the Gospel accounts, Jesus often says, those who have ears, let them hear. Why does He say that? Because He has to get our attention. Because there is so much going on and we are not called to live our lives passing God like He's a boat in the sea and we're waving ahoy as He goes in the other direction. Let those who have ears, let them hear, get their attention. Hello? Get their attention. Because if you get their attention through proximity, uh, through priority, then you move to proximity. And proximity, in James 4, 8, it says, as we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. See, what made these people mighty is that they were willing to not just hear, but they were willing to draw near. 
And because of that, they were able to live a life poured out. They responded with faith in action. They took the call of their king and they were able to see that implemented. It reminds me again of the book of Philippians, the book of joy as Paul is writing as he prepares for whatever the future may, future may hold. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Not that I've already reached the goal or already am perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He starts out by saying, I've not already reached the goal. I'm not already perfect. That, that word goal means to take, means to collect, means to gather a tribute. And that word perfect means complete. See, he's not willing to just say, well, I, I'm only partway there and so why bother? No, he takes what he is, what he has, everything that's about him. And he says, whatever I am, it's good enough for you, Lord. So I press on, I press on, not held back by what's happened before. I'm not gonna backtrack and say, how did I end up in this predicament? How did I end up in jail? How do I end up in this place where I may lose my life? No, I'm gonna press on because there's a call. And that call fuels action. And that action fuels a faith response that God does amazing things with. So the three warriors of David not only heard the call, they led to a faith response. And I wanna submit to you this, to live a life poured out is the greatest way to live. But it means tuning into the heart of your King first and foremost, and then it means willing to live it out. Because what good is it to hear it, but not do it? Those mighty ones were mighty because they heard. Yes, they heard, but they did. They stormed the gates of the enemy. And what a challenge to us today in the midst of everything that's going on always around us, to be overwhelmed by the noise so we lose sight of what we actually can do. You can do amazing things because if you can tap hold of the heartbeat of your King, you can draw from Him. In the account where they pulled, they grabbed the water, they bust out, they come to David, they give it to him. It was a great act, beautiful act. But I love even more what David did with it. First time I read it, it was shocking because they give that cup of water to David and he pours it out. How dare you? Don't you know what I went through? I backflipped over 20 arches. I cut through an army. I, I, I draw water out of the well that you wanted. I, I, I not only did that, I did the, the most supernatural thing possible. I ran all this way without spilling it. And here it is. And David takes it takes what's been given to him by his mighty ones, the ones who connected with his heart, the ones who had faith in action, and he tips it out. Could you imagine standing there and seeing that? And see, here's the thing. David in doing that was showing them why he was the greatest king, why he was somebody worth following. Because David's greatness didn't come from himself. It came from the fact that David was willing to live a life poured out to God. 
See, David was bringing attention to the fact that it's the grace of God that brings the breakthrough and that He is the priority above all. And David took what was given to him, this prized possession, this water from the well of Bethlehem, and he tips it out because David was willing to live a life poured out to God. I wonder if the greatest people around us tap hold of that still today. I wonder if what makes people mighty today is being able to live in such a way where God's goodness, His grace, His signs and wonders can flow through us. But I wonder if at our core, we're willing to be people who live our life poured out. To take what we have and not value it so highly that we hoard it and lock it away and allow it to become stagnant. That in fact, we grab hold of the reality, the truth that we can live a life poured out because it's God's grace that wants to pour into us. That we need never live life depleted. Yes, there's times of recovery. Yes, there's times to respond. Yes, there's times to receive. But in that receiving, freely we receive so that we can freely give. And a life poured out, what if that is the greatest life available? Could I ask the worship team to come and join me? I want to finish with the portion of Scripture out of Philippians 2 where we started. I want to tap into the reality that the Apostle Paul is writing this while he's in jail, writing this while he is living life poured out. And I want to tap into this because I think Paul's reality is available for us today. That in what environment, whatever state, whatever position you're in, that as you allow God to pour His grace into you, you can live a life poured out for Him. And I want to ask a favour. I want to read this portion of Scripture, about 17 verses. And if you're comfortable, I'd ask you to close your eyes as the team brings the atmosphere along this. And I I want you to imagine that the Apostle Paul has written this letter just for you. That he's writing to you. He's trying with all his heart, as if this is the last thing that he's going to do, as if he has busted through the lines of the enemy, as if he has heard you saying, gosh, if only I had this one thing to get through. If if only I had that, if only I had that, then I would be able to get through whatever I'm facing. I want you to imagine for a moment that Paul is a mighty one and he's been hanging out with you and he's heard your heart and he's heard what's going on. He's heard what you're facing. And I want you to imagine for a moment that Paul then responds in faith and he writes this letter for you to remind you who you are because you have to forget, you have to remember not to forget. It's shocking how quickly we forget the things that God's revealed to us and how much we have to choose to live a life of remembrance. And I want you to imagine for a moment that the Apostle Paul is your mighty one and that he wants nothing more than for you to rule and reign in life with Christ Jesus, to not give up in doing good, to allow God to bring His goodness to work for you because those who love the Lord, He will work all things towards good. That He has not finished with you. I want you to imagine for a moment that Paul is the mighty one sent to encourage you. And I want you to receive these words. If then, 
there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing at a selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the Word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labour for nothing. But even if I am being poured out, as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. What made David great, what made Paul great was that they drew on the one, the ultimate King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Himself, the one who laid down all things to come and be with us, the God who took on flesh, not to live above us, not to rule and reign through control, but to invite through love a way through the mess of life, a way through the garrisons of the Philistines that encamp around the promises of hope, the, the way through the mess of the mire, the way through the One who leads us to the wells of life, to draw deep from the water, so we would drink from Him who is the living water. So that when we drink from Him, we would have rivers of living water flow from amongst us. That we would take what we receive from Him so we could give it. Because the best way to live is a life poured out. And as Jesus has poured out His life for us, we get to live our life poured out for Him. And in that we find that we are never empty. We are never lacking we become mighty ones. Church, I wanna pray in a moment over a few people here. I wanna encourage you as we hit the midway point in the year, if you are depleted, reapply yourself to what you're drawing upon. We're meant to draw our nourishment directly from a living, breathing relationship 
with Jesus. And that's possible. It's possible if we're willing to tune in and connect with the heart of our King. What if next time, before you go into a pressure packed situation, before you go about your day, before you do whatever it takes that causes your heart to beat fast, why not just stop what you're doing, breathe deeply and say, Jesus, would you guide me through? Why not next time you're feeling like I've got nothing left to give? Why not just pause and say, Jesus, You said if I drink from You, I'll have rivers of living water pour out of me. Pour out Your grace on my life. Imagine instead of just allowing situations to happen, you connect with the heart of your King and He empowers you to respond in a way that causes you to do things that you never imagined possible. What if there's more available if you live a life poured out? What if that's the gift that God has for you and for those in your world? Be a mighty one for King Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.